So I've grown over the years. I, I used to go into panic mode. <laughs> I know that nobody else ever does that, but I was thankful today. You know, my background for years was I was I was in the business world for a long, long time, and I was part of a team that we went out with. I was never in sales. I was in the creative or the marketing side, but we were at a custom development uh, part of the organization, and so we would go out on these sales presentations, and I remember thinking how hard it was to sit there and present to buyers here or buyers there, and but I'm thankful for it now because it certainly you guys are easy compared to Sam's buyers and Walmart buyers and because they sit and it's their job to pound you down to the lowest price, right? So you guys are easy to talk to. I'm thankful for that. But as I, as I said, God is always faithful. And I love it because I love coming to church because we really don't plan ahead. Rob even got the Navy suit thing tonight. Yeah. Um, but we don't plan ahead. I don't talk to the worship team. Um, I didn't even actually, usually I do look at the song list, but I didn't look at it today and I didn't talk to Rob about offering, but I like it when it, when God's things come together and it's all, we already started talking about faith because we're going to talk about faith tonight. And um, I said I don't always get a lot of advance notice, but I mean in the natural sense. Spiritually, God never catches you by surprise. And when I told Amy uh, I was going to be speaking tonight, she said, well, I know you're ready because I've seen you writing things down on your phone. And, and that's what I do. I make when, I, when a thought comes or when I'm talking to somebody about the Lord or sitting in service, sometimes you'll get a, a title for something or one word as it was in this case. So I'm never, the Lord always helps us if we're faithful to listen. He is faithful to get us a word. So there was something that just kept coming up over the last few weeks, and it was a word, a specific word called unstoppable. Unstoppable. And as I think about that, you know, un in front is usually a negative thing. But it doesn't have to be. We don't have to give anything up. We don't have to make anything negative. So uh, unstoppable means a lot of different things, and you might interpret it a little bit differently, but I started thinking about it in the sense of the natural world. What is unstoppable? And I started thinking about entertainers. And, and to me, it means they're, you're achieving at a high level. You know, we would say, oh, they're unstoppable. They're reaching their goals. They're running. There's entertainers. They're, they, are, they are everything they're touching right now is turning to gold. There's coaches out there that every co- team they, they are coaching uh, goes all the way, whatever the, whatever the sport. They're, they're, they're untouchable almost. These, we use that for celebrities, unfortunately, <laughs> um, in the world today, and they're untouchable. Everything they do, they have, they have 30 million followers on their feed, whatever feed they're on, you know. That's untouchable. They can do anything. They can, they're un, they're, but they're able to accomplish anything. But um, we know that it's not true. We know that in a natural sense, it's not true. There are very, there are no, none of them that are truly untouchable. And I was reminded of this, you know, uh, I'm 52. Nope, I'm 51. I'll be 52 in a few days. And it, I actually, age doesn't bother me at all, but I'll be, I'm 51 officially. And I, I'm much younger at 51 than I thought I was going to be. Does anybody relate to that? <laughs> When I was, when you're in your 20s, your youth directors were in their 40s and youth, or 30s, and you thought they are old. When you're a teenager, right? And then suddenly you're 50, and you think I'm very young. I'm a young 50, right? That's right. You can get into agreement with that, right? But I was, but I was reminded of this concept as I was telling a joke this week. And yes, I am going to tell you a joke. So I hope I don't mess it up. But I was telling a joke this week, and I think you'll understand what it is. And uh, it's, it's regarding an entertainer. And the, the, the guy says to the doctor, he said, Doc, I keep, I keep singing green, green grass of home. 
The doctor looked at him and says, sounds like Tom Jones syndrome. He goes, <laughs> I got to look at it to make sure I don't mess it up. He said, is it common? And the doctor said, it's not unusual. <laughs> right? So those of you who know Tom Jones music understand that joke. How many of you don't have a clue why that's funny? There's a few, right? <laughs> Thank you. There's a few. Well, the person I was telling it to didn't know. And, and there's no way to recover from that joke because you can't, you know, you're going to, what are you going to do? Start singing. It's not unusual. No, no, we won't do that in the church. But, but my, the point was many years ago, and actually truthfully, Tom Jones is before my time, one decade. But, but, but the truth of it is that that is a perfect example of someone who during their heyday was filling stadiums, gold records, platinum. I don't even know what they had back then eight tracks I don't know but whatever it was they were he was the top of his field and yet today he was unstoppable then but today a lot of people don't even know who that is he may he's probably still performing I I assume he's still alive but I didn't look it up but if he is I'm sure it's not at the level that it was 50 years ago 60 years ago when he started in the industry it's not unstoppable people and things uh, in those sports, those types of things. They, they have careers. They peak. They come to an end. Amen? They're not unstoppable. It doesn't stick in the natural sense. But on, and on the spiritual side, as Christians, we also, I was thinking about this word unstoppable. And if I went around the room, we would all say, you know, we, we're faith people, right? We establish we're all faith people. But, we, but as we're looking at unstoppable, there's areas that we would say, I'm strong in that area. You know, maybe you're strong in finances. Maybe you're strong in healing. Maybe you're strong in in controlling your tongue since we've been working on that one as a church, right? Maybe those are areas that you're strong in and we're really, really strong and we're really, really good at it. And then cancer comes into your vocabulary or your finances take a turn or your spouse decides they don't want to be your spouse anymore. I know that never happens, but it does in the church, all of those things, all the time. Well, what happens is your faith, suddenly your unstoppable faith kind of hits a, hits a point of stopping in your tracks. And it's, I'm not saying we don't have a lot. I'm not saying we aren't prepared. We want to be prepared. But all those things that we think are new, this is where the, it hits. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do I really believe it? Am I, do I really have that unstoppable kind of faith for healing when the doctor says you have cancer? Do I really have that unstoppable faith when your bank account is suddenly empty because of a crisis? Do I really have that when I'm fighting for my marriage? Is it really there? The rubber meets the road. Everything we thought we knew is suddenly challenged, right? I recall a conversation that I had with Brother Morey many, many years ago. Um, we had an opportunity, and I actually, I couldn't remember what it was until Karen stood up for her birthday, and I believe it was Karen's wedding reception. And um, we were having a meal, and uh, Brother Moore was aware, Amy and I had made some changes, and he asked the question, how are, so how are you guys doing? And I'm sitting here with someone who I look at as a mentor and look up to, 
And what I wanted to say was everything is going to plan. Everything is exactly the way it should be. God is so good. And God is so good always, but it wasn't. We were in a fight for our lives financially. We were at the end of our rope in a lot of ways. And I didn't want to say that to him. I didn't want to go, you know, actually. <laughs> Not good. But what I said to him, and I wrote it down, because I, even though I didn't remember the occasion, I can tell you who was at the table and where we were sitting, because it was profound what he said back to me. But what I said to him was, you know, I thought, if you'd asked me a year ago, I thought we were living by faith. I thought we were walking it. I thought we were talking it. I thought we were doing everything right, that we were living in faith, living totally and completely dependent on God through faith. But we found out that we never had. Not really. Because the truth is, you don't know where your faith is until you hit a crisis. We know what we're doing. We're building it. We're incorporating it. We think I'm living by that. But you know, I, I believe I have good faith for healing. I've, thank God I've never had a diagnosis in my body that was, that was terminal. I'd find out real quick where my faith really is today when things like that happen. When, the, when that happens, you find out. Well, we had found out we did not have the finance faith that we thought we were living in. And the truth of it is we had never needed it. God had always taken good care of us. I'm not saying that. He had. He had provided. We'd never not. I didn't remember a time before that that a bill came that we couldn't write a check and just be done with it. We weren't even the kind of people that we had to think, okay, let's pay this with this pay period and this with that. We were with the God provided. But in this situation, we had made some choices. We had a house that hasn't sold and, and double house payments quickly drained savings. Things were happening. But I knew that I didn't want to say God isn't faithful because that's what whining and complaining is saying. I didn't really believe God was faithful. I knew God was faithful. But what I said was, we thought we had, but we're learning now. And we were. We were day-to-day in faith for finances. And I don't want to go into the whole conversation today because it isn't all relevant. But he said specifically back... God can work with that. And I thought, well, hallelujah, because it was God saying it, (laughs) right? But he said, God can work with that because it was an honest response. I'll share a little bit more about that later. But but we started talking about, um, well, he did go on to say something that changed the course of things for us. It was a God conversation. You've had those? I'll share a little bit more about that in a little bit. But we started talking about people in the Bible. I started thinking then, applying this unstoppable concept to people in the Bible. And if I went around and I asked you who are your heroes in the Bible, we would all have a little bit of a different viewpoint. There's Abraham and Moses and Noah. What would we have been if Noah hadn't been faithful to what God called him to do in the, in the face of everything that came up against him? It'd be a different place. We can know that. But uh, Esther, whoever it is for you, we would have a whole lot of different heroes. But over the past, because everybody at Faith Life Church reads their chapter, we've been reading the New Testament. And so a hero that comes up for me, and I know Dave has said that Paul was his hero too, but Paul is also my hero, so Dave has to share. But we've been reading a lot about Paul. Paul, to me, was unstoppable. He didn't quit. He wasn't infallible. 
We're going to talk a little bit about what he did. But it was partially what he was doing that allowed God to use him the way that it was. So we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Paul comes to mind. He was unstoppable because he let absolutely nothing else interfere with his calling. He came to a place where nothing except the good news, preaching it, and bringing people into the kingdom was important to him. Physically, in every sense. We're going to talk about some things that happened to Paul. And a side note, as I was preparing, I kept thinking, you know, this is it. And I knew it was it because that's what had been in my spirit for a few days and and a few weeks, actually, in preparation for this, not even knowing. But the enemy comes against you. And I'm thinking, this is really simple. Is it too too simple, Lord? Is it too simple to talk about Paul? I mean, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. We're pretty familiar with Paul. And I felt like, not an audible voice, but distinctly, the Lord told me two things. And the first one was, the simple things are essential to growing, changing, and becoming more like Jesus. We have to have a grasp on what's simple. Because what our tendency is as people is like, I know that. One of my least favorite things in the whole world is to be talking to somebody or to be giving direction to somebody on staff or talking to somebody. And they're like, I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Well, if I'm talking to you about it, there's a reason. (laughs) So just just humor me and listen again, right? It's a pet peeve of mine. Sorry. Now you know something about Tom. But we have, that's a flesh response. I know. I know. So when someone comes to you and tries to speak some truth to you and you say, I know, you know what? You're, you're not listening. You've shut it off before they can even get it out. You said, I know. I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to do that. I was, I was reminded of a long, long time ago. This was many years ago. Amy and I, I don't even think we'd been going to the church in Branson very long. And we were in the word supply back when you had a shop. There used to be a shop there. Remember? Robert remembers. <laughs> he remembers setting all that up. And there was a, a, there was someone in there asking us, what, a, what, what would you recommend listening to? And I said, you know, we've really been enjoying humility. Do you remember? We've really been enjoying the series. This, I forget what it was specifically was called, but we said this new series on humility. It was, it's been so long ago that that was a new series. So that tells you how long back it was. So um, I, <laughs> I said, uh, you met this series on humility. And they said, oh, no, we don't, I don't have a problem with that. I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not real sure then. <laughs> no judging, but pretty much that would have been a good series. Would have been a good one to start with, wouldn't you think? But, but anyway, we can, we can shut off the things of God so quickly with an I know. And the simple things are sometimes what we need to hear again. Sometimes we need to go back to the beginning. I was thinking about school. When you're in kindergarten, you're learning very basic things. Part of them is just be nice to other people. Share your toys, right? These are things you, I know some of you still haven't learned that, but you should have learned that back in kindergarten. That's one of those that they're teaching you and socializing you, and they're teaching you skills. They're teaching you your alphabet, and they're teaching you your numbers, and they're teaching you very basic, sometimes sight reading now, but different things are happening. And then you go to first grade, and you learn that the alphabet letters go together, and they have, that's how words are formed, and that's how sentences are formed. And then we're starting to read in first grade, and we're starting to do basic, really basic math things, and and, and by the way, we did math the right way. I'll just throw that out there. One plus one equals two. It was real simple. Um, but anyway, you, we kind of, it builds and you get to second grade and you get to third grade. We have some teachers in here. I know it's, it builds one on top of the other. And when somebody gets behind a little bit, it gets harder 
and harder and harder to catch up because we've missed the fundamentals. What if we decided there's only 15 letter, only 15 of 26 letters in the alphabet mattered? I decided in kindergarten, I only need 15 letters. I'm different and more special than everybody else. And so I start life with 15 letters in the alphabet. I'm going to have a really hard time spelling, doing sentences, reading. And yet spiritually, some people are walking around with 12 of 26 things that they need to know about God. And they're trying to grasp, they're trying to get to this unstoppable place of, my, I have faith for healing, I have faith for finances, but they only have a small portion of the basics. They're missing critical pieces of the puzzle, right? So we're building on little things. So I'm, I'm going to keep it simple tonight. Simple things are good. That's what I decided from that. When the Lord says it's okay, it's okay. You don't even have to think about it again. But unstoppable. What made Paul unstoppable? Well, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. I know it took me a minute to get to it, but we're going to read a lot. And for all of you guys up in screens, they're mostly NIV. I give them a little help. So the first one is 1 Timothy 6. We're going to read verses 12 through 19. I'm going to read it. You guys can follow along. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that truly is, that is truly life. The life that is truly life. Fight the good fight of faith. For what purpose? To lay hold of the life that is truly life. Hold that thought. Second Timothy 4, verse 7. Again, this is Paul talking. It's a pretty safe bet if it's in the New Testament. There's a good chance. High percentage of it. I have fought the good fight... I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Maybe you think it's an odd place to start. This is toward the end. Paul's telling them, I'm going to be going. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Uh, It's an odd place to start maybe, but I want to focus on one particular word that appeared at the beginning of both of those, and that's the word fight, good fight. In both of these scriptures above and in multiple other places, Paul talked about the good fight. Now, fighting is not a passive word, and I don't think Paul intended for it to be passive. But it also doesn't always mean, you know, getting in there with your fists and and fighting physically. That's part of it, but it's not all that it means. When Paul um, was converted on the road to, to Damascus, we know already that Paul had drive and purpose, 
Paul had drive and purpose in his life before the Damascus experience. He went full force to what he thought was right. Now, he later, of course, said he was ignorant and unbelieving at that time, but he was full force going after the church. He was anti-church. He was anti-Jesus. Jesus didn't, was not the Messiah. He was, he was pardon the expression, hell-bent on making sure that, didn't, that came undone. Right? He was going to make sure that it wasn't going to happen. Paul knew what it meant to fight for what you believe in. Now, you don't fight for something that's easy. If it's easy, you don't have to fight for it. Right? He didn't say, uh, go and take care of this and it'll be easy. He said multiple times, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. In the Greek, and I'm going to do my attempt at Greek words tonight. So all you Greek speakers out there, I apologize. But in the Greek, the word fight in 1 Timothy 6.2, agonizu, don't know if that's right or wrong, but bear with me, is related to the word agomizominos, agomizominos. At first I was saying it with the nyos, like it was Spanish Greek. So, But in, and in, in that word in 1 Timothy, fight, is related to the word in 1 Corinthians 9.25, and which means compete in the games. Paul had, this is, there's an athletic preparation to what Paul's talking about here. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? There's a concept. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's talking about getting and maintaining, training, to control and maintain your flesh. That's what he's talking about here. The idea of fight is not just the physical fight. There is preparation that comes before the confrontation. There's preparation. Part of the good fight is being prepared for the fight. That's what that's, that's, what that's saying. To fight the good fight, you better be ready for the fight. You better be ready for the battle that's coming. I was reminded in this, in preparation for this, um, when Amy was, uh, expect, when we were expecting our first child, which Jonathan is how old now? 29. Is that right? Yikes. He'll be 29. Our, our baby will be 29 this year. That just seems impossible when I'm only 35. <laughs> It's a state of mind, you guys. It's a state of mind. But when she was pregnant, we were faced with a health crisis. Amy was. And she was, she was barely pregnant, and her body was doing crazy things. I won't get into it, because I think it's a testimony she should share sometime. But we were, at the time, um, not going to church on a regular basis. We were making some changes. But, but... Our response from the moment that we heard something about it was, this pregnancy will be fine. We are not moved by what they're saying. 
From the very beginning, we had been churched. We, we knew the Lord. We understood faith much better, I think, at that moment. You talk about getting into something and wondering where you are. We found out real quick where we were. And as a matter of fact, the doctors were so sure that we didn't understand, that we were two young 20-something-year-old kids that didn't understand, that they said to other people, you need to talk to them. They don't get how serious this is. They don't understand how serious this is. They're not dealing in reality with this. We were very much aware we were very much aware of the reality. They, were, they, had, they came and said, you have a 50-50 chance of walking out of this hospital alive, not, not keeping the baby. That was out of the equation for them for the, for, in the natural. They were saying she had a half, 50%. Now, I'm sure that the normal response that people had was falling apart. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And ours was, okay. And, of course, that's not reality to people. They're looking at us going, oh, these poor kids, they don't understand. We totally understood. And there were others around us that didn't think we had faith to do this. And I went home, and I took a, I went, I took a break. We'd been at the hospital for a couple of days, if I remember. I don't want to exaggerate. It felt like weeks, but I think it was a couple of days. And it was about 30 minutes from our house. And I went there, and I stopped by the office to make sure things were okay. And I printed out. We had an ultrasound that had been given to us. And at this point, they told her, you're not even pregnant. We had an ultrasound. Hello, we've seen it. Too late to tell us it's not happening. We've seen it. They're telling us. And of course, and looking back, they, were, they wanted us to, to terminate. So there was, they were telling us what made us feel more comfortable doing that. But we knew. We had already seen it. We had that hope. We had the faith already to do this. And I came back and I printed it out. And I printed out the scripture that says, You knew me when I was, when I was formed in the womb. You call me by name. And I wrote this scripture down. And I came back to that hospital and I put it on the wall. And I said, This is what, we, this is what we're believing for. And praise God. It's not us. It's the word. It's faith. It's standing. It's knowing. It's preparation before the fight. Having that word inside of you. Is God merciful? Yes. God is merciful. He will intervene even when you're not as prepared as you should be. But it's easier to be prepared. It's easier to start out right and not have to, you know, do some crop failure to words that came out of your mouth. But, but we were prepared for the fight. We had Amy went, went out of that hospital. There's miracle after miracle with her numbers. Um, they, we went to, a, I'll, I'll just share this, we went to do an ultrasound. Uh, at the hospital, actually, after this. And the doctors, you know, they, they tell you, we, well, that we won't be able to tell you anything. We have to wait for the doctor to come to tell you something. And we were just not worried. We just weren't. We did not have a panic moment. We had a peace about the whole thing. And we were sitting there, and the nurse doing the, or the technician, I guess, technically doing the ultrasound, she's doing her own, and we're like, you know, looking like you can see anything. You know, when they're a little tiny, it's hard to identify a whole lot. But... She just looked at us when it was over with, and she said, now the doctor will come in and talk to you. And I think it was a guy, actually. And he said, but tumors don't have heartbeats. That's what he said. And we were like, 
Yes, we knew, right? And we had a healthy baby boy, and Amy is still sitting here. You can see her for yourself. And we, we are overcomers because of the preparation for the fight. You have to prepare for the fight. It doesn't just, you don't want to get into it and not, not be prepared physically and spiritually for what's coming. Um, and looking at that idea of race, other translations where it says, well, I run the race, the trans, other translations say run, others say compete well. The Darby says strive earnestly. The Weymouth, the Weymouth says exert all your strength. So to me that means putting everything into it. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, you're giving it everything that you have. Well, just like Paul, we're in a race. It's no mistake that you're here today. That in the entire span of eternity... Jenny is here tonight, living her life. Cassie, Brother Paul, Dan, everybody that's here, it's no mistake that you're here. It's no mistake that on September 24th, 1969, Tom Hunter came into the world. At that time, I have a brace to run. God has a purpose for my life. He has a purpose for your life. It's no coincidence that we're all here. This is our race. This is our time. But he's not going to run it for us. He has a plan. He has a good plan. He has a plan that's going to end really well for all of us. He's got a plan for our lives that are going to help us to accomplish everything that he's put out before us to accomplish. But he will not run your race for you. You have to do that. I have to do that. I have to make a choice to run my race. Amen? And uh, I like that we must, we must purpose to cross the finish line. I can tell you one thing for sure. You won't cross the finish line if you quit in the middle of the race. I have quit things that I shouldn't have quit. I'm sure, I'm, I'll just say it. I'm no, I know nobody else here has ever done that spiritually, but I've quit things. Thank God he's merciful. Thank God he's merciful. Um, when Mrs. Moore spoke recently, I wrote this down specifically, and I don't know if it's a direct quote or if it's a Tom Hunter paraphrase, because sometimes I'm writing fast. But she said something along the lines of, Christianity is not what you need it to be. It's what this word says it is. In other words, it doesn't conform to you. It is what it is. You have to choose to live the life Christianity requires. You can't change it to fit the way you want to live. Sounds simple, doesn't it? There's only one way. There's the way, not a way. That's not just talking of Jesus is the way. But it's not talking about that. There's a way to walk this out. There's a way. And Paul was a good example of that. You thought I was off track. I'm not off track. Here's a man who was on his path. He was on a path to destroy the church. He was uh, well known throughout the regions, not just in Jerusalem, but the extending areas as a, as a hater of the church. He was hunting Christians down. He was having them arrested. And he says, and we'll read it in a few minutes. He says, every time I had a vote, I said, execute him. Not a good person, not a friend to the church. Did he believe? He was a, he was a Jew. He was very intelligent. He was, in, he was a Pharisee. He was highly educated. He was doing what he thought was right. He said out of ignorance and unbelief. But he was passionate about it. 
passionate enough that everyone knew who, who Saul was, right? He was passionate about it. He was on fire about it. But, but he, was, he was unstoppable for a few reasons. These are not exhaustive. You could spend, we could spend months talking about Paul and, and the things that Paul accomplished and these specific things. But these are a few things that stood out to me as ways to, that we can emulate what he did and become unstoppable and get to that place where we won't quit. Amen? Paul was unstoppable because his salvation was not only a decision, it was an ongoing experience. I want to read the account now in Acts chapter 9. Where we want to start here? We'll just start at the beginning. We'll just read through it quickly. Verse 1. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, um, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was, a, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I love that he just answered. This is, this is New Testament talking here. We should be talking to the Lord. I, people laugh sometimes when I say I talk to the Lord. I used to do it in the car before cell phones. Talk about looks. Now you can get away with it. But yes, we should be talking to the Lord. He, he will talk to you if you'll listen. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He was well known. For what he was doing. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I love that. At once, he began. His salvation became an experience. That road to Damascus was his conversion moment, and it became an experience to him. Immediately, he received that purpose. Immediately, he changed course. Immediately, his life changed. It can be the same for us. 
This isn't, this isn't here for just fun reading, right? Um, and we goes, it goes on. He, when he went to Jerusalem, the disciples said, guess what? He's not for real. He's just going to get in here and drag us out and take care of us. That's exactly what they thought. But Barnabas intervened and, and then he went on and, I, and it just said, then the church throughout Judea, uh, Galilee and Samaria, verse 31, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Our salvation is foundational to our Christian walk. Foundational. It's the starting point of much bigger things. Um, Philippians 2, 12, NIV. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let me point out here, working out your salvation and working for your salvation are very different things. We're not talking about that. The gift of salvation was given freely, Without, without any strings attached to all mankind. What he's talking about is working out. It's an experience. This is something we're going to have to apply ourselves to. It's not just a conversion moment. It's a what next. Okay, I've made the U-turn, God. What next? Where am I headed? What am I doing? When we get saved, we must become certain, certain that God loves us. You must get that settled because if you don't believe that God loves you, if you don't really believe that, it's going to be really hard to receive a lot of things. Amen? It's hard to receive when you don't believe. You have to believe that. Think of this. He gave, you mentioned this, one of Craig maybe when he got up. He gave his only son not only to redeem us, It wasn't just for the purpose of saving you from hell. It was restoration to a relationship with God, the Father, that was severed generations before that. It's not just salvation from hell. We were restored to a relationship. We were created to have a relationship with the Father through Jesus now. Hallelujah. But it's more than that. Um, it seems so basic, but I, I just said we stop at salvation and don't continue into discipleship. We don't keep growing sometimes. We think, I'm saved. You see this uh, oftentimes, I don't want to say often, because I believe our kids are saved and that they're living for the Lord. But a lot of times young people, they think, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. I, I can do this on the side, I can do a little bit of that. It doesn't really matter, I'm saved. It matters. Because you should have, that is change experience and you should be developing a relationship with God that changes your attitude about those things. Amen? Paul went in, went all in in whatever he did. Whatever was asked of him, um, he committed to it. He prepared for it. He fought. He never stopped growing in doing things for the Lord. Amen? Paul was unstoppable, second observation, because he embraced his purpose. 1 Timothy 6.12, back to that, he said, fight the, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when, your good confession, uh, when, you, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It's that fight the good fight, take hold. Take hold of it. It's an action word. You have to choose to embrace it. Um, Paul's conversion was immediate, it was irresistible, and it was not going to be suppressed. Just as fervently as he went after, I'm looking at you over my readers, 
just as fervently as he went after the Christians when he believed that Jesus was not the Messiah, he became more on fire for God, reversed, reverse course. That's a pretty big flip-flop. I would venture to say a lot of us haven't made that kind of a flip-flop in our lives other than just that recept- receiving. Most of us aren't anti-God and become God. We just didn't know, right? He was anti, anti and became. That's, that's a pretty amazing conversion, actually, when you think about it. Um, I, I love his, his description of his salvation experience and how he embraced the purpose brought to it. Um, in Acts 26, the message, um, he's talking to King Agrippa. He's on trial, basically. And I love, I love Paul. Do you guys ever read these scriptures and kind of see some attitude? Just a little bit. Sometimes they have voices of people you know when you read them. I won't, I'm not naming any names, but, but it's just funny. Um, but Paul took the stand, and, he, and I'm going to skip down for the sake of time. He says, um, he talks about, about the, that he wasn't always on the side of the position, but that he was always a Jew, and everybody knew that he was a faithful Jew. Um, but, and he was out trying to catch the believers. But uh, let's see, verse 12 to help the screens people. One day on my way to Damascus, armed as always with papers from the high priests authorizing my actions, right in the middle of the day, a blaze of light, light outshining the sun, poured out of the sky on me and my companions. O king, it was so bright. We fell flat on our faces. Then I heard a voice in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Why do you insist on going against the grain? I said, who are you, master? The voice answered, I am Jesus, the one you're hunting down like an animal. But now, up on your feet, I have a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and a witness to what's happening today and to what I'm going to show you. I'm sending you off to open the eyes of the outsiders so that they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light. See the difference between Satan and God and choose God. I'm sending you off to present my offer of sins forgiven and a place in the family, inviting them to the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. What could I do, King? I I like that. Because he's like, well, what could I do? That's his defense. What could I do? I can't just walk away from a vision like that. I became an obedient believer on the spot. I started preaching this life change, this radical turn to God and everything it meant in everyday life right there in Damascus, went on to Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside and from there to the whole world. Paul completely embraced his calling. Immediately. Immediately. What else could he do? I suppose if you had a bright light, it would be easier too. But you know what? We have a bright light. Your salvation experience is no less important than Paul's. It's no different. It may have happened a little bit differently, but every one of our stories is the same. God called you into salvation. The scripture says that's the only way men are saved is for God to, God to call. For the, good, they're, they're, the goodness of God draws them in. Points men to salvation, right? So it's a good thing. Um, I wanted to. I would say my own my own personal example, and Dave will remember this. This is this is a don't do what Tom did, do what Paul did. Back and actually, it was interesting because today, as I was studying, I was here at the church a little bit early. As I was studying, the Lord brought to my recollection when I was a little boy 
in in the first house I ever remember living in, and we were getting ready for church, and I told my mother, someday I'm going to preach to people. I had not thought about that in 50, it's what, 48 years, 40, 45 years. He brought that to my recollection. And I, he did it for a purpose because I sat in Dave's office, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago, and we were having a moment. I've had some moments with Dave, and Dave still loves me. It's good. He's, you know, iron sharpens iron. He's, he sharpens me. He helps me. He's a blessing to me. Um, I'm not sure I've always been a blessing to him. But I sat in his office, and we would had a disagreement, and, and he said, you have a call on your life. And I sat like a three-year-old and said, no, I don't. No, I don't. You were there. I didn't say, I couldn't say hardly anything else the whole meeting because I was, I was that shaken. But I could say that. Boy, the devil lets you say the wrong things. I just, you know, he'll get you all emotional about stuff. But he'll, he'll let, he'll unbind you for a second to say something stupid. I said, I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I picture myself, I'm sure it wasn't quite as dramatic as that, but I picture myself like a little bitty kid saying, no, no, no. But I was resisting. The truth of it is he was right. And Tom didn't, that wasn't on Tom's agenda. Tom had other plans. Anybody else ever have other plans? I had other plans. I'm thankful that it took a little, little sojourning, but God gets you back. He'll, re- he'll bring those things back to you. He doesn't let you forget. They're without, they're without, uh, the callings of God are without, he doesn't, he doesn't revoke them. He doesn't take them back. Amen. Another, another good quick point. Paul was unstoppable because he refused to quit. If you don't listen to anything else that I have to say tonight, if I just annoy the snot out of you, listen to this one thing tonight. Do not quit. You can't finish if you quit and you will be tempted to quit Paul was tempted to quit he had every reason to give up do you remember any of them I'll refresh you in Acts 14 I'm not going to you don't have to put these up he was stoned and left for dead we just watched that he was stoned and left for dead these people knew what they were doing they didn't intentionally leave him for dead they take rocks and pelt you with them until you are dead. They thought he was dead and dumped him. That happened to somebody, right? It happened to Paul. Um, in Acts 27 and 28, he was shipwrecked. In, 20, in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, he says, uh, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once, one night I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I had been constantly on the move. I had been in danger from rivers. I had been in danger from bandits. I had been in danger from fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. Are you getting the point? In danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else... I love this. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. In other words, besides everything else, I have to put up with you. I'm concerned about you. Right? That's what he's saying. But he's been through some stuff. The man went through some stuff. And I know that in the world today, people are going through some of these things. But the reality of it is we aren't today in this country. 
I'm not looking, I don't, and I'm aware of, at anybody that's been stoned and left for dead for their belief. I'm not looking at anybody that's been shipwrecked three times. <laughs> Am I? Don't. I apologize if you have been. I'm not looking at anybody that's been literally in danger for the, for the vast majority of his life. From that turning point on, he was a target. He was a marked man. They tried many, many, obviously, many, many times to take him out. But it didn't deter him. He said, he said in Acts 20, 24, you could quote it, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I may finish my course with joy and in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He was convinced of his calling. He didn't quit because he became convinced on that road to Damascus. At the time of his salvation, he became convinced that the word of God was true and he chose to live the life that God had for him. Amen. We can develop that same never quit attitude. 100%. We're capable of it. We can do it. Romans uh, 8. Yep. Yeah. Romans 8, 31 to 39. Put that up for us. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did, he, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You need to write this down and add in all the things that you think are separating you right now. Shall finances? Shall health crisis? Shall marriage problems? Shall work problems, shall children problems, can any of those things separate us from the love of Christ? None of them. None of them are more important than this. For your sake, it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. It's one of those all qualifiers in there. Nothing. Are you getting the point? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's your faith chapter, right? Now, faith is a confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Paul was unstoppable because he, he refused to quit. He didn't give up because he kept his eyes, the last one, he kept his eyes fixed on the kingdom and the kingdom business. In 2 Corinthians, in the Amplified, it says, um, Therefore, we do not become discouraged, disappointed, or afraid. He was an encourager. Have you noticed that? It's another good trait about him. Though, though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. For our momentary, excuse me, for our momentary light distress, this passing of trouble is producing 
For us, an eternal weight of glory, a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor, and endless blessedness. So we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible and temporal, just brief and fleeting, but the things things which are visible are temporal, but the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. You know, back when we were just talking, when, when I was talking about Paul in 2 Corinthians, he was talking about everything that he had been through. You know, he was really very frustrated when he was going through that statement, which is why I said he was at the end there. I think he was kind of like at Tom's paraphrase, and I have to put up with all of you too. He was frustrated because they had been listening to some people who were coming in and being a little bit bragging about, oh, I've been through this. You have to listen to me. You know, I'm, I'm shortening the story. But essentially, they were listening to people that didn't know what they were talking about and had come in, come in the name of the Lord and were not in the name of the Lord. They were false teachers. And he was frustrated that these things impressed them. He was frustrated that anything that he had been through should impress them. He kept saying through the course of it, it's foolish that I'm talking about this. But since it impresses you, let me tell you, right? Since it impresses you, I'm going to go through the list, but none of this matters. None of it is relevant. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And what you're doing is counter to the word. So forget all this fancy stuff. None of this matters. We count none of this. I count it all joy to have suffered all of these things so that I can be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? He kept his eyes focused on kingdom business. When it, there again in Acts, we just read that. None of these things moved me. None of those things moved him. He didn't allow his focus to become this or that. Only the kingdom. Amen? Many of us are too easily moved because we start looking at circumstances instead of looking at the Lord. That makes you vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. When we take our eyes off of him... We become vulnerable. We put ourselves in a vulnerable spot. And we begin to listen to the whispers. You're not good enough. They don't like you. They're not using you to your full capacity. Can you believe they didn't ask you to do that? Why wouldn't they ask you to do that? You're way more qualified than them. So on and so forth. Well, that, that tickles our little fleshy ears. And we say, yeah, yeah. Instead of looking to him in the kingdom and say, it doesn't matter whether I'm doing it or they're doing it, it's getting done. That's the message of the gospel. And if, we, and if I'm thinking about that, I don't care what people are saying. The enemies, you know, we, can, we have become so sensitive to the whisper of the enemy, but we can become so immune to the screaming that we don't even hear it when we focus on him. When we focus on the things of the kingdom. Isn't that great? We don't have, you're not, we are not victims. Helpless victims. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are overcomers. He just said that. We're more than conquerors. That doesn't, I'm not a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. Right? On and on. If you have to come to a place where you're focused so much on the kingdom business that you're not allowing anything else to happen to distract you. Paul was unstoppable. The real thing is because he purposed to be unstoppable. He made a choice. I touched on that in the very first thing. He made a choice to be unstoppable. None of these things move me. You can stone me. I'm going to get up and walk to the next city. 
When we read that recently, that just stood out to me. I mean, how many times have we read that? And I thought, he was, he, he couldn't have been in great shape. He was stoned to death. I don't know if he was dead and revived. Don't, we don't know that, but we know that they left him for dead. He had enough injuries that they thought he was dead. And what did he do? It doesn't say he, you know, they nursed him for six weeks and they did this. It says, I mean, it, it says he went right on. He went right on preaching the gospel. He had, he had work to do. I had appoint, he had appointments. They were expecting me here. They were expecting me there. Here, this man of God, who was anti-God, anti-Jesus, was chosen while he was anti-Jesus to become the man that essentially established the churches that, as we still follow today. He planted churches. He, he mentored pastors. He mentored elders. He, t- he sent people to them. He talked to them himself. He corrected. He encouraged. He, he, we're still living in that model today for churches and how he set them up. Way back then, God used an imperfect person who was willing to make a U-turn. And God would have used someone else if he hadn't chosen to make a U-turn. God would have got it done. But he handpicked him. Why? Because he knew behind the chase, behind the conviction, was a heart to him. It was misguided, but he thought he was doing the work of the Lord. He was just mistaken. But once he came to believe and understand, he totally and completely turned himself around. The great thing is, you know, I think that's the, one of the greatest things of his story is the U-turn. God is merciful. You can't get so far away from him that he won't let you come back. As a matter of fact, I'd say you're probably not as far away as you think you are because he really doesn't let you wander so far that he can't see you, so far that he doesn't care anymore. He allows us to come back. Maybe you've made some turn that you're not happy about. Maybe you've listened to something you shouldn't have listened to. Maybe you've come to believe something that was, that was completely contrary to truth. Paul did. He believed something that was contrary to the very most important truth that there is, that Jesus was the Messiah. Born, died, crucified, risen again. Paul didn't believe that. That's a pretty big truth to not believe, right? That's a whole lot bigger than they don't like me. To put it in perspective, it's a whole lot bigger of they're not using me. Put it in some perspective. God allows you to switch just like that. It was an instantaneous change for Paul, and it can be an instantaneous change for us. Um, um, I know earlier on I said something about, there was something that the Lord said to me, two things, and I know you think I forgot the second thing, but I didn't. The second thing that God said to me, and I was, I was thinking to myself, man, I want to I be more like Paul. I want to be more like Paul. Do you ever do that when you're reading about something? I want to be like that. And it was like the Lord said, you know, Paul would say, try to be more like Christ because that's what he was trying to do. He didn't, he wouldn't want you to be like him. He wants you to be like the master because that's what he spent his life doing was becoming more like Jesus, living Jesus out to people, explaining how to live the life that God had for them to live. And I just thought that was, I think that shows sometimes God has a sense of humor. Sometimes if you're sitting there and you're listening, he's like, you know. I tell somebody all the time, like, you're my hero. I said, I said, aim higher. Aim higher. <laughs> I'm not a hero. 
And I, it's funny. I'm doing that to be funny. I mean, I don't really think I'm all that, but I, I also, I'm doing it to be funny. It's aim higher. But I think sometimes the Lord says us about things. Aim, not, not, aim, aim for Jesus. Aim to be like him. Use Paul as an example. He's a great man. You can learn a lot from Paul, but you don't want to be Paul. I want to be Tom, seeking Jesus. Amen? It's a good thing. Um, and then one other thing I wanted to share, that conversation that I had with Brother Moore as I was talking today, and I don't want to make it, I don't talk to Brother Moore all the time. I'm not, I'm not name dropping in the sense. This was many, many years ago. But um, in the midst of that battle, I had a choice when I was asked that question. I could answer with flesh, which was really the, the temptation, is your flesh to say, you know, <laughs> do you have a few minutes? Let me tell you, it's not good. It's not good. We can't pay our bills. We got stuff going on. It's not good. I mean, God is faithful, but I could have answered that way. It would have been truthful. But as I was as I was reading through these notes, the Lord the Lord, you know, said to me basically, not you know, audibly but distinctly inside, he said, If you had answered and bit, done done the fleshy response or lied and said everything was good and go on, he wouldn't have been able to get me my answer. Because I was able to respond with a spiritual truth, even when the truth wasn't what I wanted it to be. The natural truth, I thought that was so, I mean, there, you, could, you could do a whole other talk on just that statement. I was being able to respond with a spiritual truth, even when the truth, natural truth wasn't what I wanted it to be. In the natural, I wasn't seeing it yet. But... I knew it was Tom's problem, not God's problem, in the sense that he had more for me. He had more for us. We, we, God didn't put us in this position, but he had the power to get us out of it based on the words that were coming out of our mouth. Isn't that good? If we'll listen to him, guys. We've, we've made a lot of mistakes. I'm not saying that to say we do everything right. We don't. We, we get corrected. The Lord says, don't do that. <laughs> if, if you're not getting corrected, you maybe get up and do something. Because if you're trying to do something for the Lord, there's going to be instruction that comes with it. Because it's never exactly what you think it should be. He's going he's to get it done right in his way. But if we'll listen, he will help us. He said uh, in Second Timothy again, I fought the good fight. I have finished the core, the race. I have kept the faith. We can finish strong too. And in Galatians 2.20... It, uh, it says, uh, this is from the message translation. I don't even know if we have that. Uh, Galatians 2.20. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or that you have a good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine. But it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, and I am not going to go back on that. If we will live the life that Christ wants to live in us, through us, 
you will be the most satisfied, happy, seek, taking it all with joy person like Paul did. So I counted joy. No matter what comes your way, isn't it nice to think that you can be to a place where I started coming up with other good unwords. When you reach a point of not of determining, purposing, I am not going to quit. No matter what comes, I'm not going to quit. You can become undevourable, undistractable. Oh, this is a big one. Unoffendable. Amen. Uncompromising. These are all things that are within our capability of becoming. Oh, you can't come unoffendable. I can become unoffendable. Praise God. Because that's a, that's a bad tool of the enemy. It's to get offended about something. I like Brother Moore. I, I used to laugh, I think I said this, when he said, you know, oh, you, you tripped and punched me in the face. I'm sure you didn't mean to do that. I'm like, you can get to a place where you know that someone has done something that has was purposeful and intentionally designed to make you look bad or to take you out. And you can go, God bless them. They didn't they don't even know what they did. I'm sure that they I'm sure in their heart they didn't mean to do that. And you know what? It's not it's that's not a fairy tale. It can happen. You can live like that. You can be unstoppable. You can be on purpose. You can be a purpose to not quit. You can be a lot like Paul. Stand to your feet. Choose. I see I always think when I'm making notes that I'm never gonna have enough. <laughs>